Can you imagine what it's like in heaven? I mean, God's on his throne. And how many people are praying across the earth to God? How many people are speaking to God? Does he hear us one at a time or simultaneously? I'm telling you, the capacity of God as it is in heaven is such that the full breadth of the simultaneous sounds of faith are being received at the same time, in the moment. And in heaven, there is no confusion despite the diversity of sounds. The diversity of sounds are one sound because it's in one spirit. And there's something that God is wanting to introduce to us this morning about that diversity, about that beauty, where we can each be saying something that's praising him, but not saying the same thing. Yet it is one. It is in the spirit of unity. But because of its beauty, it's like an orchestra with so many different instruments, each playing different parts, but all in the same key all representing, streaming together, causing a beautiful sound. We've only understood unity in terms of sameness. There's a level of equality that must be there. Otherwise, it's confusion. And I want to break that idea over our minds right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we will not have to come back to sameness to express unity. Sameness is not our resolve. Sameness is not what gives us comfort that we're doing this together. One spirit, Father, I pray today that we could experience that, that unity in the spirit despite the fact that we're all using our own words. And while one is saying, bless you, the other one is saying, peace will fill the earth. He is holy. Whatever it is that's in faith and of the Spirit of God, this is the sound that's in heaven. This is how praise is released in the dimension where God lives. And we say, let that atmosphere come here. Lord, may our, may our measures of unity and sameness, confusion, drop to the ground today. Just begin to love on him right now. Just begin to say who he is to you. This is what worship really is. It's not you saying what somebody else said before you. It's you saying what he is, what you really see him as. According to the, what he's done in your life, according to what you know him to be. I feel like the Lord has brought us to a place where we don't know, a place beyond ourselves. But there's something lingering in the air that we don't understand. It's a place beyond us, beyond our understanding, a place where we don't know, a place where we're not familiar with. But I thank you, Lord. We will wait for you. We will wait for you. You will bring us through. We will rely upon you, Lord. We rely upon the strength of the arm of the Lord and not the strength of the arm of man. Beyond what we know, we thank you, Lord. We will trust. By your grace, we will trust you more in this 
that you will bring us further, higher, deeper in a place, a place where we've never been before, Lord. We're in a holding pattern right now around something. And in the past, we might have like tried to break through on our own strength, but that isn't going to be the breakthrough we need to get to this next place. And we admit, like I admit, I don't know how to break through that. We've done something a certain way for so long. And the Lord's just saying that way just won't get you there. It's like trying to bring a train ticket into an airport. You have a ticket that can get you somewhere, but it just can't get you on this type of transportation. It can't get you on this, this mode. And so, Lord, right now, we don't want to pull back. We want to actually get the right ticket. We want to get on the right plane. We want to get on the right transportation. And so we say, we will not move lest you move in us. And so we stand here in faith and we say, God, we're marching around this thing. Reveal to us by your mercy and by your grace the ticket we need. I'm asking for myself right now too. Clearly there's something that I'm not, I'm not, my spirit must know, but there's something that's not making a connection. And so I'm praying right now for that connection to be made. Lord, I draw near to you because you are the source of all wisdom and knowledge and revelation. I cannot come up with this myself. God, we need your revelation. We need your wisdom. We wait on you. Holy Spirit, we wait for you. Peel back the clouds, O oh Lord. Let the light of heaven shine through. Let the light of your revelation come. Let the light and the life of heaven pierce through this morning. We're not satisfied with the train ticket anymore. We thank you for where it's brought us, but we recognize we need a plane now. We stand here in the moment of truth. We stand in the moment of truth. Who will declare his coming? Who will declare his kingdom? Who will declare his light? Who will declare who he is? Who will declare his life in the earth? Who will declare his glory? Who will proclaim his son? Who will prepare themselves as a bride before him? We stand here in the moment of truth. And we give you everything, oh God. We give you everything. Jesus, you are worthy of all my passion, of all my heart. Of as much humility as I can muster. Lord, that we could spend ourselves... Lord, we want to pour out, pour out our lives, pour out our hearts. I believe there's a question being asked and answered over the whole journey of your lives. And it's this question, how captive are you of the Lord? How captivated are you by him? What degree does he arrest and engage 
your attention. If there are a hundred layers of your emotion, if there are a hundred layers of your intellect, if there are a hundred layers of your will, if there are a hundred layers of every part, every single aspect, how many of them are fully tied into a moment with God at ever, ever any point in our lives? What if, and I was just seeing heaven, I was seeing the multitudes of heaven, and I was seeing people close to the throne and people not close to the throne. And suddenly I, I had a picture of a natural earthly concert, and, and I saw people like a, in a park, and some are only partially engaged. They're enjoying the music from a distance, and they're there. They're eating sandwiches, and they're, they're conversing, and they're laughing, and they're watching their kids. But suddenly, different ones, the, suddenly there's a moment when they awaken to a sound, to something connects deeper in the music, and you see their attention snapping to the music, to the sound, and it immediately causes some of them to grow, draw near. They leave what they're doing. They leave the geography of distraction. They leave the elements that they're tied to, and they begin to be more invested in the sound. And I begin to see that perhaps it may be that our position in heaven is going to be equal to how arrested we were on the earth by him at not at only not at one given moment, but at, on the aggregate of moments in our whole life. And it raises a question, how engaged am I ever with God? And do I even know that there are levels of engagement that are beyond my capacity, beyond my comprehension? And do I pine and long for that? Does something in my heart say, oh God, I'm grieved that I can't be, uh, I can't be enthralled with you. I'm grieved that there are parts of me that can never be brought into alignment with who you are. I'm grieved that, that I can't overcome that thing inside of me that keeps, keeps me looking to the right and to the left. Oh, God. Oh, God. We want to say, cut the cords. Cut the cords. Oh, God, we want to be able to engage with heaven. Lord, we repent of our self-consciousness. God, we repent of all the parts of our being that are wrapped up in ourselves that are thinking, how do I appear at this moment? And if I do this, what will these ones here think of us? Oh God, I pray, I repent. I repent of my self-focus. Self-consciousness steals from God-consciousness. All of the places occupied by me must be vacated in order to introduce you I say let my mind be given over to you I say let my heart be given over to you I say Turn, turn, turn. I want you to know that Esau sought for a place of turning and couldn't find it. 
he did not have it in him to access the grace of God. And even though he wanted to turn, he was still affected, enamored with other things. He could not make the turn. And we're all in a place where there's parts of our being that are enamored with the earth. Cry out, cry out right now, God. God, give me a place of turning. Give me a place of repentance right now. Give me a place. Grab, Lord, pull together the cords of my heart. Assemble me in full heartedness that I may cry out to you with all of my being. I want to encourage you as Steve is singing. Keep singing, Steve. Don't stop and listen. Release. Release. Your your heart follows your words. Your heart follows what you're saying. So don't watch and enjoy the music. Speak. There's a desire from heaven that says, I will be glorified. I will be glorified by my people. And one of the ways we glorify him is focus. It is honoring to focus. When a wife is sharing the heart, her innermost being with her husband, she deserves the focus of the moment. And her capacity to open the deeper things hinges on that focus. That's a part of who God is. He said, how can I share my heart with a church that dishonors me and cannot glorify me, but is enamored and distracted by everything else? And when I begin to whisper the secrets of my heart, she is gone. And so God is training us to pull in the cords of our being because he's looking for a people whose heart is full toward him. And so, Father... All the frayed edges, let them burn. All the places our hearts are wrongly focused, let them be cut. Let the cords of our heart unite. Unite. I just believe these things are going to go together, that the manifestation of God on the earth is going to coincide with the capacity of a people to give him the glory that's due his name. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, it talks about, 11 and 12, talks about the fivefold ministry and the purpose. And it says... It's given until, until we come to the unity of the knowledge of God. The unity. It, it takes 
There's a, we're being pulled into a focus, into a where we have the same knowledge of him. But he gives that knowledge of himself in degrees according, according to the reward of the worship that we give him, the faith that we invest in him. And so he's saying to us, listen, your heart trusts in you, your heart trusts in this, your heart trusts in this. But when that heart turns, when you realize there is nothing in your own strength and you can do nothing without me, then something more of your heart turns and lays hold of me. And when that happens, I release something of me to you. There is a generation that will come into the unity of the faith because they will have come into the unity of the knowledge of him because they will have become full in their heart. This is not a little issue. This is the key issue. And I feel like God is saying the reason people cannot enter the inner sanctum of my house Ah, it's because they trust in a technique. They trust in a sequence of words, a melody, a repetition of a certain moment that they experienced in part before, an improvement on yesterday's manifestation. But what I'm looking for is a heart that cannot live without me, without more of me. What I'm looking for <laughs> is a reaching out to me in desperation that cannot be pretended, cannot be mimicked. And so in our lives, God is bringing to an end the secret confidences we have in the flesh. The secret confidences we have in the law. And you might say, oh, I don't have confidence. You do too. We'll talk about that later. The secret confidences in the natural. God. Something is being made available to the people of God on the earth. It's like a new uh, plane in the mountain of God. A new segment, a new altitude where are hidden secrets, anointings, authority, blessings, functional gifts and roles, crowns and scepters and jewels, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. Lord, we say we want to give, we want to gladly relinquish everything we have, everything we've achieved for that field. 
You will bend towards the living God because that is your purpose. You were made for the Lord. God, we resist the lie of this age that says, I was born this way and it cannot change. It is a lie. I was born for the living God. I was born to obey. I was born to serve him and love him. I was born to release the kingdom of God into the earth. And this body will bow to the Lord. This mind will think like Jesus. This heart will love the Lord my God. It will be in Jesus' name. Neural pathways in the mind shift in Jesus' name. Dreams and visions and passions shift in Jesus' name. Love the Lord your God. Seek the Lord. I'll just share briefly where this takes us. If we were able to actually own what is being said, if we're able to actually give ourselves fully to this, it's going to be like, it's going to be unlike anything you could have thought about. It's like operating at a whole different capacity. It's like breathing something that is an oxygen. You functioned on oxygen for all of your life. If we enter into this, if we grab hold of this, it's going to be like breathing something that isn't even oxygen. The lungs and everything would shift and be able to accept whatever gas or whatever it is that we'd breathe in. That's the shift that's coming. That's the change that's coming. That is coming to the body of Christ. Let me say that again. That is coming. And so right now, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't feel like it's coming. It feels like I'm being crushed by the weight of something. Yeah, that is the weight of the law. That is the thing that says, I can't do this. And under that structure, under that system, you just can't. It's impossible. And so, Lord, we need this shift. We need to make this decision because we recognize the depths that we must go the equipment we have right now just isn't going to cut it. There's a movie called The Abyss, and I can't remember really. I just remember this one part where they had to dive super deep into this hole in the ocean. And the only way to do it was to make this liquid oxygen. <laughs> and so the guy's in the suit, and he's ready to go dive in there, and it starts filling up. And it fills up and fills up and fills up, and he's just, he's like, trying to fight it because he's like, naturally this liquid isn't supposed to go into me in this method. But finally he gives himself to the point of <gasps> he breathes it in and realizes I can breathe. I am free from the structure that was holding me before and what it's done is it allowed me to go deeper. It's allowed me to dive into something that is unknown. And that's where God is going to take us. He's taking us all there. Whoever would decide to breathe in. Amen. Hallelujah. So many aspects to understand. Part of the problem we have is merging the Old Testament and the New Testament because what we don't understand is the pictures 
of the Old Testament are the reality of the New Testament. What they lived out, you know, the, the journey of Israel, for example, from Egypt into the Promised Land and the encumbrances along the way are a picture of what you face in your journey as a believer from being born again to entering full maturity. They, they are a metaphor for all of the challenges that you have in your life. These things are written for our example. And so all of these scriptures in the Old Testament that deal with this, they're not past because it's Old Covenant. They are the same today. So you cannot use, well, you know, the Bible says, I'm seated in heavenly places. Therefore, the whole idea of struggle is, you know, it's not for me. And yet the reality of your life reflects otherwise. You can't just latch on to a conceptual idea of where you're destined to function and thereby leap over all of the challenges that will make you that thing. Right? So, so we want to embrace some of these pictures because it's in embracing them that we understand our frustrations because there are challenges in your life, things God is after, and you think, well, what, what do I need to do differently? What am I, you know, so we're looking for keys, and that's not bad, you know. There's a lo- and there is something contained in those keys, especially at an elementary level when we're Christians. You know, certain, certain behaviors create character. And so we, we, we identify with those things and we do things differently. You know, people say, you need to write, read your Bible every day. Well, why is that? Is that because it's legalism and you're, 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 you are... You are uh, satisfying a requirement of the law? No, because your mind thinks like this, and if you're exposed to the right kind of thinking, your mind starts to change. Not because you're satisfying some guilt, blood guiltiness over your life. So there are behaviors that are keys that unlock certain things into your life. But what happens as you mature more and more, the, the keys you need to shift become more elusive and more ethereal. Hear what I'm saying? As a young Christian, you know, just doing this regular stuff, praying, reading your Bible, go to church, you know, share your faith. Man, that'll get you by for a couple of years. But when God starts to deal with the real strongholds of your heart, no amount of doing something different is going to change the outcome because he's dealing with your heart. Well, what's going to change that? (laughs) <laughs> when it changes, it changes. Oh, man, there's, that doesn't give me any security. But here's, here's the thing. When you, when you in your heart, uh, when you, Jesus said this to his disciples, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Well, here's the thing. You either believe that or you don't believe that. And you can believe that partially. Can we not use that door back there, guys? 
So what we're trying to do is, is uh, transfer our faith. Without me, you can do nothing. But if you believe that, no, if I just try a little harder, I can change this thing in my heart. If I just give more money, or if I just stop watching movies, or if I just da 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 No, that doesn't change your heart. The shift of confidence shifts your heart. Hello? So, well, how do I stop trusting that this works for me. Well, God starts to show you by not blessing some of the things you're doing, and they start to fail. You start, things start not working. And eventually, they not work enough, you stop going to them. Right? You know, if you've got a washing machine that works all the time, you'll use it all the time, and then it starts working only occasionally, so you start looking for alternatives. In your heart of hearts, your heart goes to what you believe will work. And if there is, if there's more grace from God, and this is why it's so ethereal, we're talking about incremental measures. God wants to bring you into to draw more grace from Him and less strength from yourself. Well, how does He do that? He just sets you in a world where suddenly the the, the threshold is different, and you start getting frustrated. How many of you are frustrated or been frustrated in the last year? Yeah. And God is saying, come up. Son, daughter, come up. There's, there's a, well, how do I do that? Ah, wrong question. How do I be that? You know, a cake, a cake that's done, when it's cooked, it's cooked. When it's baked, it's baked. Halfway through the baking process, it can't say, what should I do? Well, there's nothing else to do other than remain in this scenario and be cooked. So a lot of the deeper things of our heart are being accomplished through the conditions of our life. But sometimes we're saying to God, God, change the conditions of my life. Yeah, but I, I, I need those conditions in order to change your heart. No, what you need to do is change my wife. What you need to do is change my job. No, 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 you don't understand. You're more than an overcomer. Those are not the things that keep you locked into place. It's what's wrong in your heart that keeps you locked into place. It's the place of your confidence, what you trust in. And as soon as you shift, as soon as that thing you're dead, when, as soon as you can say in re- you're dead to me, to that thing you trusted, then boom, you are locked into another level of grace and you're different. You're just different. And people say, how did you do that? More of God, less of me. Yeah, I need to do that. Well, how do you do that? How can I make you convinced that something has less value than you've invested in it? You have to see it. Until you see it, you can't change. So these are the things that, are, some of the deep things that are going on in our hearts. And, and it, what, it, what it amounts to is it amounts to different kinds of access into the grace of God. And I believe that God is preparing a generation to access a realm of grace, to access a degree of the manifestation of God 
it's so high above what we're walking in right now, but he's, he has created the conditions in our lives to prepare us for that. And we are either cooperating with that or we're kicking at the goats. We're resisting. And you know what? Let me tell you, your flesh will resist. Your flesh will always resist. Well, I don't understand this. Well, this is frustrating. Well, blah, blah, blah. you know, I feel like a fool. You know, whatever it is. But, but he says, listen, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has pure hands and a clean heart. There's a condition of the heart that unlocks levels in the mountain of God that you are shut out of until your heart changes. What is that, biblical? Yeah, it's actually a verse. <laughs> and again, it's part of that picture that we see in the Old Testament. We see the picture, and I love this one, when God, Israel first came to meet God, they met him at the mountain, right? Mount, Mount, of, Mount of Sinai. They met God there. And we see, and I've shared this many times, so you know this idea, but the idea is that, that there are incremental places in the mountains where different people were allowed to go to. The bulk of the people were stuck at the base of the mountain. They came to the mountain. They were not able to touch the mountain. And God, God said, put up boundaries. What is that? That's a picture of boundaries, lines of demarcation, measures that keep you locked into a realm where your faith actually is. You can't pretend the necessary behavior to graduate. You have to shift. That's why there's a process through that. You know, I remember years ago when uh, John Wimber came on the scene and a bunch of my Pentecostal friends saw the grace that was on his life and the authority and the, it was amazing. And they said, yeah, that, I want some of that. So they traded their suits in for uh, Hawaiian shirts and jeans and grew ponytails. Because, you know, that was the style of the vineyard, the casual. Let's just, if we're just more casual, then God will visit us stronger. No, that's not it. He's, he, he, he's from California. That's why he did that. That wasn't heaven. <laughs> that wasn't the criteria, you know, that, that caused God to do that in his life. It, it was a heart. It was a heart that, that he had that had enabled him to access something of God and administrate it for the body of Christ globally. But in our, okay, I want some of that. So I, I start conforming my appearance to that guy. So let me see. When he prays, he goes like this. Okay, wait. No, like, no amount of contorting your body or the style of your ministry or the phraseology of your, your language is actually going to unlock more of the kingdom of God. It's a hard issue. Always a hard issue. Does that make sense? But there is something inside of us that, man, all these guys with Hawaiian shirts seem more anointed than me. I'm going to try it. Man, just as anointed as I was before. Good. It's not about the shirt. Does that make sense? And only you know, and only, maybe you don't even know, only God knows the things that your confidence is hinged on. Right? I remember when I was a young Christian, you know, I, I, I was trying to be safe from the enemy. Right? 
I was trying to make sure that the enemy didn't, you know, couldn't harass me today. And so I had all of these things that I used to do. First thing I did, you know, because I was told, you need the armor of God. So I, every morning, in Jesus' name, I put on the helmet of salvation. In Jesus' name, I pull on the robes of righteousness and the, the, the shield of faith and the breastplate of, uh, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword. And I'd have to say it, otherwise I didn't feel like I had it on. Anybody ever do that? You know what? That's not a bad exercise if that's what your conscience needs at the moment. Okay? Hello? You have to live where your faith is. And that's why, well, I can't even go into that. But that's why he talks about in Corinthians about the whole consciousness about eating food uh, sacrificed to idols. It's all about what you believe will unlock or not unlock the powers of darkness against you. Right? If you actually believe the powers of darkness will be unlocked against you if you watch a movie... The powers of darkness will be unlocked against you if you watch a movie. Don't watch a movie. And you can't live beyond your faith. You have to live according to your faith. Is that, is that, you understand? But the rules that we, we, we create in order to accommodate our conscience and our lack of faith at one point in our life are not permanent. They change. Because the reality is Man, I just got to the point where I just felt safe in God every morning when I woke up. I started praying in tongues, and I didn't even realize I wasn't putting on my armor anymore. And I thought, you know, I don't think I need to put it on. I think it's on. But, you know, if somebody gives you a sermon and says, you don't need to put on your armor, but you really think you do, keep putting it on. You understand? <laughs> so... So, uh, but, but things start to change where you start to realize that, no, there is, uh, there is a presence of a glory and I'm shielded from evil. Oh, no, I saw a black cat. I'm on the 13th floor. I spilt the salt. I remember those those things, all of those, those are belief systems. I believe evil can affect me if this happens. It's called superstition, but it's really an element of faith. It is what you believe. And you are subject to what you believe. You, the world around you opens and closes based on what you believe. And so God is trying to shift you to realize that, that this is what matters. Your heart. So, and I could, I could say so many things about that. But, uh, so there's this analogy that, that there's a mountain and that the rulers of Israel were able to go up the mountain. And it literally says in Exodus, it says that they saw and ate with God. Did you, did you know that? How many of them were there? Seventy. Seventy elders. And then evidently uh, the high priest and Joshua and Moses and Abner besides that. Uh, so, you know, maybe 75. Who knows? Who else was in there? I don't think it was about exact numbers. But the point is some went further than others. Well, that's not fair. 
No, that's totally fair. That's the way it works. Jesus had uh, people that he had disciples, and he had some that were closer, Mary and Martha, right, and their brother, Lazarus, whom Jesus loved. He wasn't, they weren't in the 12, but they were obviously close to him, so there was some access they had him that the average person did not have. Then you had, well, who were the 120 in the room, you know, when the Holy Spirit came? Obviously, they, were, they had some proximity. Clearly, you had the 12 who had more access than anybody else. Then you had the three who seemed to be special to Jesus. You ever think the other nine resented the three? Of course they did. Of course they did. They were always vying for who who is gonna sit at your right hand? Well, what about him? Why why isn't that happening? You know, they're arguing, fighting, and you know, wrestling for position constantly. Oh yeah, they had a lot of envy and stuff going on in the middle of them. But John, John, it's a great name, eh, John? John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know who wrote that? John, yeah, a little self-serving, but true nevertheless. So John had a kind of an access to Jesus that nobody else had. It's like, well, why him? His heart. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will get access? Different heart gives you different access. So many of you are at a place where you're realizing the old triggers that used to matter. The old, if I just change this behavior, change that behavior, you know, that was the, that, that was the key. And those are important moments when, you, when God is enfranchising inside of you the, the idea of obedience, that, that you need to, you know, uh, there's things you need to do to align yourself with God. But when he begins to deepen those things, he into the issues of your heart, it becomes less tangible. Doesn't mean those other things were unimportant. They were actually very, very key in establishing something in you. But God is trying to do something with us today. He's trying to say, listen, there's more of me available. There's more of me available. The question is, who wants it? Now, I'm not asking you to lift your hands. But if I did, and you weren't just saying, well, I'm not going to lift my hand just because he said lift my hand. If you, we would all lift our hands. But you lifting your hand is not going to get you any more. You saying at this moment, oh, yeah, I want more of God. That's, a, that's an intellectual exercise and maybe a reflection of some of the sentiment of our heart. But the truth is, what you love is deeper than what you think is practically expedient in the moment when somebody says, do you want more of God? What you do over the course of your whole life, if you love righteousness, if you love righteousness and, and hate iniquity, that's what Jesus did. Because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity, he was given something above all of his brethren. Well, what behavior do I need to present that tells God I hate? In no, no, no. Because you can pretend. And God is saying, listen, that doesn't work. Well, yeah, but here's the problem. 
here's the problem. <laughs> I, I don't love righteousness. I love iniquity. How can you say that? Because we do. Just not in the fullest sense. And so God is coming to our hearts and saying, where do you love iniquity? Where are you attracted to sin? Where are you attracted to some expression of the earth that's filled with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? What part of you has an affinity, a leaning, a bent? You know, Michael always says, very fond of saying, he's leaning into heavenly things, leaning into it. That's a great terminology because what happens when you, when you love righteousness, you're leaning into righteousness. You know, when a, a puppy loves you, they come up and they cuddle next to you, they lean into you, right? Well, there's parts of our hearts that are leaning away from righteousness, and those things disqualify us from certain manifestations and administrations of grace. And so uh, God is looking to change that. And well, how does he do that? A, he has to make you aware of it. You can't repent from something you don't think you have. You've got you to gotta, you gotta know that that's who you are. But, you know, for some of us, who really don't understand the love of God, when, when we're just starting to discover the love of God, let me say it that way, we, we think, ah, oh, if, if I admit that to be true, I can't face that possibility because then that makes me outside of the love of God, so I can't entertain that. No, 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 no. And so you get into these mental gymnastics trying to qualify yourself for something you're not qualified for because of superstition. What? Is this making sense? So, so God is, and I see him, even right now, I see him like reaching in to touching these deep issues of our hearts. Because, again, I, I mean, I love, oh, let's come and sing the right songs. Let's come and do the right behaviors. But the power of that is magnified by the right heart. And now that we've established those behaviors, Here's the thing. Other churches and other people and other Christians all over the world have established those behaviors with different kinds of returns, different kinds of responses from heaven. So what we're trying to do is say, okay, God, when this guy says, come, Holy Spirit, come, man, the Holy Spirit comes. And when this guy says the same words, nothing happens. What's the difference? Heart. Secret alignment in ways you cannot see. And so we're saying, okay, God. And, and this is the crux of this thing. And, and my heart is coming to it more and more as a, as a person, as an individual, because I'm saying, I'm saying, God, you, you've got the answer for cities. You've, you've got, I mean, I, you know, if the lives of other saints and other revivalists and other, other heroes, New Testament and Old Testament, are any reflection of what's possible, you could rain down on the earth manifestations of your presence that would, that would just be so amazing. Yet that's not happening. Why not? Could it be that if you really wanted this stuff more than you wanted other stuff, that it would start to happen. And that's always the question it comes down to. What 
do you really want? If you got over the hurdle of saying, well, I don't want God as much as I should. Hallelujah. So what do you do then? You're stuck. I am stuck in a place where I want the world more than I want God. What do I do? You ask God for a change of heart. You, you, but you know, well, what if I believe certain behaviors will get me that access to that change of heart? Then you'll go through a process where God will extinguish, extinguish your confidence in those things. And then you'll start asking from a place of pure faith and passion and fullness. God, I've tried to be this. 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 God! Ooh, it came. What, what was that? That's a, that was a breakthrough that came over a six-month, 12-month, two-year, three-year period in your life. Suddenly, you, you, your heart shifted. You left something. You reached into God for something more, and boom. There it is. I'm different. Now on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. But there is, there is a measure that God has, and that's what that scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, 12, 13 is all about. Is the fivefold ministry, prophets, pastors, pastors teachers, apostles, uh, evangelists, are given to challenge you, to prepare you, to... Yeah, be the voice of God in your life to touch those things to help you get to the place where you are you are individually and us corporately are the manifestation of Jesus on earth. And that's what it says there. For the equipping, oh, let me let me back it up. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up, the preparing of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the unity of knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me just make this really clear. Come here for a second, Ben. What if Ben was Jesus? Whoa. Okay, let's say Ben was Jesus, and, and I am drawing near to Jesus. First thing I learn is, how does he dress? Is that right? So as soon as I have the knowledge, this is the way kingdom works. When I have the knowledge of how Jesus dresses, how Ben dresses, suddenly that becomes who I am. That's transformation. It, so... So I, I say, oh, this is how Jesus appears. So in the kingdom of God, what you see is what you become. That's why opening the eyes of your understanding, that's why the whole scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold him, we are changed. Okay? Revelation of Jesus, some part of him. When he opens up that, that knowledge, so you see some aspect, boom, change, boom. The question is, what does it take for him to open up that knowledge for you? That's the, uh, that's the hard part. The changing instantaneously. We'll all, we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Our bodies will be changed because why? We're going to see him as he is. Boom! You don't have to, okay, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to have a, a, a new body. 
It just happens. That's how kingdom happens. So when I see Jesus, boom, I'm made like him. And as I see more of who he is in reality, as he opens up the knowledge of himself to me, boom, I'm changed. Instantaneously. What's, what is not accessible is the knowledge of him. Because certain requirements must be met. Well, I, I believe. No, you don't. Thank you. That's the problem. We actually don't believe. We believe other things. And so that's why these two things are, are, are coming together here. So the fivefold ministry is given for the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, wow. The unity of the faith. Hmm. Whose faith? Whose faith? Jesus. His faith. The knowledge of him? And into his faith. When we believe like he believes, he opens up the axis. We get to see him as he is, and we're changed. That's the transformation process. And when you become like him, you have access to the things he has access to. So, what we want to do is we want to diminish the amount of time it takes during that illusion time, that illusion that, you know, we're happy about the last level of transformation. You know, when you're happy about the last travel level of transformation, you're, look at me, you know, got a new suit, you know, got a new behavior. When that wears off, then you start pining for more of God. How long it takes for you to start to pine more of God is the key. And God is right now shortening those windows, and he's helping you with me. I'm helping you do that. I'm helping you be dissatisfied with you, who you are by hanging a mirror in front of you and saying, listen, is this really who we want? Well, don't condemn me. I'm not condemning you. Just look in the mirror. Is that who you want? I don't like that mirror. Something wrong with that mirror. It's a circus mirror. No, that's a real one. Let me... Let me enjoy my delusions. We don't have time. We don't have time. Now, he's going to have a people who come into the fullness. It's just, I want to be in that group. I want you to be in that group. And so we got no time to waste. So I'm, what I'm looking for is a couple things here today. I'm asking God for... Uh, a grace to access that hunger and that passion, that we'll not be self-satisfied in whatever transformations or breakthroughs have come to our life, that we'll not have to spend a lot of time feeling good about ourselves. You know, if if you look at the history of this church, the history of this church has met with stale periods as we're getting over feeling good about ourselves. And those stale periods can be years. They can be years in your, in your natural life as an individual believer. They are years in the circuit of a history of a church, people. 
And so God shortened that. God, make us dissatisfied in the right way. Make us dissatisfied with what we've accomplished, what we've touched. Lord, uh, we don't want to bask in the fact that, oh, we got this now, and those guys don't have that. And God, forgive us for whatever it takes to, to keep us from languishing in there. Break that off of us. And then the second thing I'm looking for is just a heart that will get past the sentimentality of superstition and the and confidence in the law that keeps us from owning those moments. It makes us feel bad or feel dirty instead of just saying, God, just change me. This is who I am. I mean, that was, that was the hardest thing. When I started realizing the problem was not the church out there, the problem was me in here. When I finally, finally realized that, yeah, actually, I, let me tell you something. My wife's not here, so I'll tell you. <laughs> Things my wife has been telling me for 10 years, I have finally desired to hear. Now, this year. Well, why didn't you desire them earlier? Why don't you like spinach more? It's good for you. What does it take to change an appetite? Not just eating it. We can eat something and swallow it. Oh, I hate this. To want the truth that's being offered that can change us is the problem. Ten years, really? Oh, yeah. And that's okay. Because I'm in God's oven and he's cooking me. And my wife is one of the burners. <laughs> the circumstances of life are one of the burners. The, the church here is one of the burners. The challenges out there when I travel and minister other places and coming into strongholds and people and mindsets, those are the burners. Because there is enough in God to change everything. But it's coming up against something you can't change that makes you realize, I, if I had more of God, then this situation would change. So, Father, I pray today, <sighs> may we have full hearts. I pray, God, that our pulling on heaven will become so, so full Heaven will begin to appear in this room. We'll begin to have moments where we appear in heaven, where heaven appears on earth. This is what we're coming to, friends. We are pulling on heaven through our worship. And as God is uniting the desires of our hearts into one solo passion, heaven will begin to manifest in higher and higher degrees. So, Father... Make it so. Can you say amen? Amen.